Oh, you were early again. Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Tracy. And I'm Corbin Heller. And we're coming at you from a Sunday morning. It is Sunday, August 23rd, bright and early for Sunday time at, you know, just before 10 a.m. That counts as early in some some circles. And uh, Corwin, did you open up the, the Excel file I sent you yet? Nope. Well, then you're in for a happy surprise. We're going to make <gasps> Corwin feel good today. We're talking about Grand right. Slams. They hit one last night, too. Uh. I know. So this doesn't include that because I was looking specifically at the whole four straight idea. Um, so for anyone who has, like, I guess, been head firmly under a rock for the last week, um, the San Diego Padres decided that they hate the state of Texas and would like to burn it to the ground. And I don't disagree. Um, and they... they Grand Slamoed in four straight games against the Texas Rangers, after which, after the first of which was a highly uh, discussed in the world of like baseball politics and and unwritten rule correctness, um, they then went homer to uh, hit Grand Slammed in three s- continuous more games for a stre- total stretch of four. Um, not included in this is the fact that they hit another grand slam against a Texas team last night uh, in a 13-2 win against the Astros for their fifth grand slam in six days, which is fucking stupid, might I grand say. Grand slams will continue until morale improves. <clears throat> slam Diego, slam city. Grand slam Diego. Oh, and it fits so well. Um... God damn, have I not had this much fun watching a baseball team from afar in I don't know how long. And Corwin, I'm so happy we chose this team for you. Oh, me too. You know what? If I was a Cardinals fan right now, I would be so upset. But I'm a you barely watch baseball this year. Man on Earth. So let's talk about it. Let's get into it. So I, uh, I was really curious. And there, there's a, kind of just an odd smattering of statistics over this on this page. Um, so it, it, it's part of, um, me just continuously thinking, oh, that'd be interesting to look at. Um, and there's nothing like crazy, crazy in depth here, but figured we could have some fun with it. So looking at it just from a game perspective, uh, in 2019, so I did, I did all last year's stats. Cause for one thing, we have a, a, a full season worth of games and plate appearances and stats and this isn't going to keep updating every day we talk about it these are all relatively set in stone and i didn't want to do like you know a 10-year look because i just didn't feel like collecting that much data you know what i mean yeah i mean you could have dug through all of you know the grand slams over the course of baseball history or since you know the end of the steroids ever whatever but one season's good enough you know we're not we're not here to put some, you know, hard facts into some scientific baseball journals. No, no, we are here to have fun. So last season, there were 4,858 baseball games played. And if you're thinking to yourself, huh, that seems two games shy, because if you're uh, just a savant, um, and you know what the right number should be, you're right. It is two games shy because I forgot last year, that the White Sox and Tigers ran had a game rain out late in the season, and then MLB was like, you two teams aren't making the playoffs. This game doesn't matter. You're not making it up. And both and both teams finished with 161 games. <laughs> so 
Yeah, it literally does. Um, so if, uh, if if there are two games missing from last season, but I think that's something that kind of happens in most seasons. Uh, in 2019, there were 154 Grand Slams, which at first to me felt really high um, because it feels like such a you know a unique thing to have. Like you can very much so count like how like a, mo- most baseball players will have single digit Grand Slams by the time their career ends. So it feels. Uh, I wouldn't even say most. I would say you know you hit a Grand Slam. That's a pretty cool achievement that isn't necessarily uncommon, but I wouldn't say most players. Um, well, it, that's what I'm saying is like, it, it's tough because they, because so much of the grand slam is out of your control. Right. Um, right. like, like Don Mattingly, my favorite Don Mattingly fact, there's many, but my favorite one is that he hit six grand slams in his career. He hit all six in the same season and never hit another one. Really? Yeah. That's actually really funny. Yeah. And like, that's the thing is like, because Don Mattingly played on terrible Yankees baseball teams. And one season, he just happened to get up six times with the bases loaded and hit a home run. And so much of that is out of your control. So despite the fact that Don Mattingly played like, I don't know, it must have been over 10 years in, in the MLB. Um, he only finished with like six grand slams. Like they don't have Luke Voigt just hit his first one of his career the other day. Mm-hmm. And he's been playing baseball for like three years and is a home run machine when he does it. And plays like, for the Yankees, where it's a team that gets a lot of guys on base. Right, and a stadium that allows for a lot of home runs. Mm-hmm. So, it's challenging. Do you, um, want to know who, do you know who the all-time leader in Grand Slams is? I actually don't. Who is it? Alex Rodriguez with 25. Ah, that makes sense. That makes sense. By Lou Gehrig, Manny Ramirez, Eddie Murray, Willie McCovey, Robin Ventura, Jimmy Fox, Carlos Lee, Ted Williams, and Hank Aaron. Robin Hank Ventura Aaron with Babe Ruth. How many? How many do Hank Aaron and Babe Ruth have? Uh, Sixteen. Okay. Jimmy so then Fox, I, Lee, Ted Williams had seventeen. Willie McCovey, Robin Ventura had eighteen. Eddie Murray had nineteen. Manny Ramirez had twenty-one. Lou Gehrig had twenty-three. Real quick, si- si- since these numbers are very low, I feel even more bolstered in my confidence for saying most players finish with under ten. Um, yes. <laughs> But also, my favorite Robin Ventura Grand Slam fact is: Do you know the tale of the Grand Sling, the Grand Single? No. Oh my God! So but this is back from when Robin Ventura was on the Mets um, in like the late '90s, early 2000s. Like, I'm I'm dodgy on the year because this is something that happened like when you and I were alive, but neither of us would possibly remember. Um, so Robin Ventura was up. Bases loaded against the Braves. And I forget if this was a postseason game or a regular season game. I forget which one it was. So anyway, he gets up, bases loaded, you know, bottom of the ninth, everything you could possibly want as a, as a, as a fan of baseball and a hitter. And he hits the ball out at a city field. It's, it's a grand slam. And he starts running to first. And then the whole team, you know, everyone scores. Then the whole team just starts running onto the field and just mobs him. And he never makes it to second base. And so, because he never actually rounded the bases and touched home plate, it didn't go down as a grand slam because he didn't hit a home run. The score official scorecard of the game shows him as hitting a single, but he scored all three runs. So basically, it was like a 400-foot, three-RBI single. That's 
a really funny fact. I hope it doesn't like. I hope it's not one of those like con- points of contention where it's like, oh, it shouldn't have counted. They shouldn't have won that game. He didn't actually touch home. And it's like, shut the fuck up. Who cares? He hit the ball out of the park. It doesn't matter. Well, what's so funny about it is like, all right. So if you want to, like, no one is hitting a single because. Like, all right, let me, let me let me rephrase. And I'm so sorry, folks, that we haven't talked about the statistics much yet. But yeah, like, no one's hitting a single um, because they wanted to stop it first. Right. You only hit a single because you didn't get the ball far enough away from the fielder that you could continue advancing to additional bases. And no one is scoring f- from first. Like, there was a guy on first when this happened. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been a grand single. Um, no one's scoring from first when the outfielders or the fielders in general are like trying to get them out because that is a very far way to run um, on a single. Like if you want to call it a single, that basically means that like someone had to try to stop you from getting the second and like no one did. <laughs> the only people who tried to stop Robin Ventura from getting the second were his teammates was the rest of the New York Mets. Um, and by the way, there is a video of this and everyone should watch it. It's wonderful. All right. I have a question for you, Josh. Yeah. What does um, Jose Abreu, Aaron Boone, Madison Bumgarner, and Jack Cust all have in common? It's got to be something home run related because of who those people are. Um, Walk off home runs? Uh, Incorrect, sir. I will give you one last guess. Uh, walk off grand slams into this list too. Walk off grand slams. Uh, no, they all have two career grand slams. (laughs) That is a weird list. That is a very, very weird list. Vlad Guerrero Jr. already has two career grand slams. Wow, that's funny. All right, all right. Let's let's rein it back in. So. In 2019, we have 4,858 games. We have 154 Grand Slams, which means that we have that 3% of our games played in uh, 2019 had Grand Slams in them. So the easy way uh, of doing um, consecutive games Grand Slammed, as I'm going to call it now, is, is just, you know, for anyone unaware of, of just this is very, very basic statistics, which is why I know I'm doing it right, because my knowledge is just I opted to not take a second stats course in college because I did not care enough and I didn't feel like trying um, is if you're doing, uh, you know, or you do addition and if you're doing and you're doing multiplication. So we need a game. We need one game with a home run or sorry, grand slam and a second consecutive game with a home with a grand slam and a third consecutive game with a Grand Slam, and a fourth consecutive game with a Grand Slam. So those numbers are going to get exponentially larger because we're going to keep multiplying 3% by itself um, just continuously. So the odds of hitting a Grand Slam in one game per 2019 stats, as we said, is 3%. Just to give it a, a, a tail behind the, the, the period here, it's 3.17%. Two straight, the number gets immediately lower. <laughs> it is... 0.1005%. That is not that is not a large number. That's a very small number. Um and that's just two. <laughs> uh three straight. 0.00319%. We are already at a very low mark. 
And then four, four times straight, 0.00101%. This, this, this is a fascinating... Astronomically um, low. I w- did you like find anything that would be like similar in probability of like being struck by lightning six times in your life is the same percentage or shit like that? Uh, I I didn't look because I had to redo some of the stats because or I added more stat stuff. But I I no I didn't I did I'll put it that way. No I didn't. I want to do some quick googling to see what I can find. It's it's just such as like a comically low number. And my my thing is like I don't know if um like because when we, we pitching for prayer games, it, I I haven't done the numbers on it, but it's like you get a lot of starting pitchers out there there's only 23 perfect games the thing is like i'm i'm rather certain this is only the second time this has ever happened i think there's one other instance of four straight grand slams um but i so there's only two other instances of um so padres slams in three straight games were the most in the big league since 2006 okay so this has happened yet two other times um, once in 2006 and then once in 1895. Um, and I think there is another instance of the four Grand Slam straight, but I'm having a hard time recalling what they said and, um, and what team it was. I, I want to say it was like a weird 70s White Sox team. But like this, it's, it's, it's so statistically abnormal because of, for one thing, all different players, you know, all different pitchers that also are on the same team. Like, if you told me there was a four-game score, four-game stretch where um, throughout baseball, four teams in four consecutive days hit grand slams, like that would also be wacky. Because while grand slams do happen somewhat regularly, 154 last year, um, they're not. Like, oh, sorry, sorry. San Diego is the first time this has happened. Sorry, my, my mistake. There was there was three instances of a three game set. No result. The San Diego is the first game, first team to do it in four games straight. My bad. Um, apparent apparently so. Uh, so the idea that one single team did it is just bananas. It's just absolute bananas. Yeah. Yes. Did you have you found anything? Um, no. It turns out trying to Google something by a number that small, like, as a percentage, um, gives you just a lot of math tutorials on YouTube. That, that would make sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that would make sense. So, in, you know, off-cuff, off-the-cuff, it would be very difficult to find, I'm sure, if uh, we had a little more time, maybe. But, eh, fuck it. So, I wanted to see... Uh, compared to MLB history, how often you would have expected this to happen based on the odds that we have very loosely calculated here and the number of games actually played in baseball history. So according to the internet, there have been 218,000 baseball games, approximately speaking, uh, baseball games played all time. And that means that if you take that 0.000101% and multiply it by 218,000, uh, the number of baseball games that you would have expected for Grand Slams, or the number, 
of four Grand Slam instances, you would expect would be 0.22. So not even... So we're, that was actually a little bit higher than I was expecting after I saw how low that number was, that that, that probability was. Um, but that's still like... Basically, this still hasn't happened. Or this shouldn't have happened with as small of a sample size as we have, which is crazy because the sample size of games we're talking about is 218,000. Basically, um, we would have to expect... Like the only point where we would expect this to have happened with certainty is if baseball exists for four times as long as we currently have had baseball. Pretty, pretty much, yeah. So, like in in the the uh, cells right below this, under how many games should it take? It to change a two to a one there because I really thought that this happened one at the time. Uh, but if if we if we take uh, one instance. And divide it by the probability of this happening, um, you get nine hundred ninety thousand two hundred twenty-five games. That's so basically just shy of a million games. It would take a million games for you to go. Ah, yes, it makes sense now that this has happened, mm-hmm. which is fucking crazy, because that would basically take you another, you know, uh, uh, fucking four hundred years of baseball. Just about. So you're telling me this is going to be an unbeatable record that the San Diego Padres and, more importantly, Fernando Tatis Jr. will hold for the rest of human history. What I'm telling you is that it feels goofy, again, because 154 Grand Slams were hit last year. That's a lot of Grand Slams. Like, I understand it's not a lot relative to, like, plate appearances or at-bats or or, you know, uh, home runs as a total or whatever. But, like, that's that's a lot. The idea that we're talking about four straight, like, doesn't seem that crazy. Like, how many how many players have hit six, six home runs in six consecutive games? Individual players. It's happened a few times. Like, last year, or was it two years ago? One of, one of the last, I think it was two years ago. Kendris Morales hit seven home runs straight. Seven games with with, yeah, with, with home run each games. I think it was two years ago. Yeah. Kendris Morales, he's not even in baseball this year. Like, <laughs> like weird shit happens, and grand slams take additional labor because like people have to be on base. Like Kendris Morales's home runs didn't matter if they were solo shots, three run, two run, a grand doesn't it didn't matter. The mat what mattered is that he hit a ball out of the park as an individual effort. This is like a team effort, and it makes it so much tougher. Which, uh, so uh, I want to sit there and be like, no, Corwin, this is going to happen again, like in a month. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, no, it, it there have been 218,000 games, and this is the first four game stretch where this actually happened. What's the uh, what would the math be if you could do this quickly because you did it with games for hitting two grand slams in an inning? Ooh, um, that I let me. Can I pull up how many innings were played last year? Like, because that's the other thing is. I mean, I feel like you could average it out and just multiply it by nine. Well, I was going to say, like, you know, if the home team's leading, then you only play like eight and a half. Mm. Um, and if you know, plus extra innings, you know what? You're right. Let's just call it an average. We'll call it nine. Um, so. And we take our forty-eight, fifty-eight, 
and let's multiply that by nine. So loose, loose guessing here, 43,722 innings. Um, and we're trying, and so that means we had, um, how many grand slams per inning or how many, see, I always argue with myself about what the best way to do math is and it never goes well. So we have, so real so quick, basically it's, oh fuck. Uh, yeah, I'm going to confuse you have, myself just as much if I start to try and pipe Oh, in. oh, because, because the, our problem, Corwin, is that we argue with ourselves and then when we right. start comparing our opinions, we will start arguing with each other. Uh, even if that means arguing against our other opinions, so we shouldn't even try. <laughs> so, uh, if I use the same methodology I used with the last one, that means that um, in 0.352% of innings, you had a Grand Slam. So, while that is low, um, it's still considerably higher than even hitting uh, two straight games worth of Grand Slams. So, if we just take that and basically square it, Oh, wow, that's a big number. Holy shit. Uh, small number? Um, I don't even really know what the right term is. Uh, 0.00124. So you have, you have three times, approximately, better odds of hitting, uh, having your team hit a Grand Slam in three straight games than you do of someone hitting uh, a Grand Slam in two Grand Slams in the same inning. Now, could you calculate the odds of having the player who hit two consecutive or hit who hit two grand slams in a single inning and the player who was a part of hitting four consecutive grand slams being a father and son duo? I cannot, nor Just can I tell you the odds of quick. the fact that the pitcher that Fernando Tatis Sr. did this off of uh, was the same pitcher for both grand slams. I think it was like I think it was Chan Ho Park. Uh, forget who it was, but like I the idea that. that also the same. Not only did Fernando Tatis Senior hit two Grand Slams in the same inning, but they let the same pitcher be there the entire time. That's just rude. Yeah, right. Ah, oh, sorry, you let up eight runs at minimum, eight runs in the first inning, Mister Park. I are bad. I, I imagine that if I was that pitcher, and you know, I immediately give up two grand slams in a singular inning after the second one you just kind of turn to the dugout look at the manager throw up your arms just like thanks thank you that was very kind of you to leave me in here for this yeah oh i'd be furious i'd be you know, furious you know, pitchers can't take that responsibility for themselves so you know obviously it is the manager's fault regardless well, i mean there is like such things as, as just being responsible with like your pitcher's mentality and, and the number of pitches. There's like pitchers are only trained to throw between like 15 and 20 pitches in an inning. Once, like every now and then, you'll watch a first inning where a guy gets over 30 pitches and you'll be like, oh shit, like he might be done soon because you're not supposed to, like you aren't supposed to throw more than like 30, 35 pitches in an inning. Like if, if he touches 35, he might get the hook before the second inning rolls around. Um, so the, the fact that they let a guy just like sit out there, chew up dingers for no good reason and just like blow through pitches also is a terrible look on the manager from like a mental and physical well-being standpoint. But who, what, who am I to say? Right. Uh, all right. So I want to, 
I want to move on a little bit with with this with the same topic before we we, we change topics altogether. Sure. Um, so that that is as a team basis, you know, th- those one hundred and fifty four home runs is is like league wide. We're talking about games. We're talking about rates with games and 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 overall baseball player statistics, not specific player. So I well, not that I'm talking about a specific player, but looking at um, individual player odds. I would like to look at that for a moment. So in 2019, we had 186,512 plate appearances. There's a lot of plate appearances across all of MLB. The number of those plate appearances that appeared, that happened with the bases loaded, 4,385. That is 2.35% of all plate appearances in 2019 happened with the bases loaded. So it is not a frequent occurrence. Damn, yeah. You li- literally more grand slams happened as a percent of games than bases loaded opportunities happened as a percent of plate appearances. It's not frequent. No. Which feels no, odd because I feel like I see it a lot, but it, I think it really speaks more to um, how many, not how few plate appearances happened with the bases loaded versus how many plate appearances happened with not the bases loaded. So. Uh, right. that, yeah, I would think about it more in that vein. Um, so we're, we're going to put that on the shelf for a moment. In 2019, we had 186,515 plate appearances. We also had in 2019, 6,776 um, home runs. So that means that as a percent of plate appearances, uh, 3.63% of all plate appearances in 2019 ended with a home run. So also not like super high but definitely higher than the last one so that means if you navigate to the bottom part of column e uh your odds of hitting a home run times multiplied by your odds of having the bases loaded should give you the expected odd or you know approximately the odds of you hitting a grand slam of 0.085 percent damn and now if you look over at column C, row, uh, cell 11, if you take the number of um, bases loaded plate appearances and multiply that by um, our odds of um, the number of... Sorry, let me just rephrase myself. I'm, I'm looking all over my Excel spreadsheet. If you take those odds, that 0.085%, and multiply it by the uh, the number of plate appearances we had in 2018, you get 159.3 grand slams. It's the based on doing this, how many grand slams you would expect to hit in a season, and that is actually very close to how many actually got hit last year: 159 versus 154. That is like very, very much within like a very small. Uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, margin of error. Margin of error, right? Um, which is, I would not expect that. I fully would expect Grand Slams to be something that it's random enough to not even, because random would almost entail, you know, it being close to what is expected because, you know, there is nothing factoring in on that. But that's just a crazy close number when you think about it. Yeah, yeah, I I genuinely was was shocked that like not that I was expecting my math to be like super off or anything because a lot of this is just straightforward multiplication and shit. 
Um, but I really wasn't expecting it to be like that dead on. Um, or I should say for MLB's actual stat to be that dead on to what my percentage calculations would show. Like it's, it, it's within five. Like that's really that, that, that's, that's the, that's how well most polling places give you for a margin of error, you, you know? Right. Um, so if we're looking at this from a, from a more individual players, uh, odds, uh, any player in a, in a, in a given game, has a 0.085% chance of hitting uh, a grand slam. So aka not good. <laughs> you you if you walk into a game, you have a less less than a tenth of 1% chance of hitting a grand slam. Um which is part of what makes it fun. They're fucking rare. Mm-hmm. So a player's odds of doing it in two straight are 0.0000729%. It's really slim. It's not. It's not high. It's very, very low. Uh, three straight. It is zero point. <laughs> I can't even keep up with the number of zeros. Zero 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 six two three. And and then four straight. Just add three zeros to that, and then drop it down to five three two. <laughs> like, can you it give is- me just a total number of zeros in that bottom? Because my eyes are just refusing to let me determine right. how, like, what that is. All right, here we go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve zeros. Fucking a. Yeah. Whoa. Wow, that's just a that's lot. Just, you know, a couple quadrillionth of a percent. It it it's it's so insignificant. Like your so odds games, of winning the lottery are so much we need to play in baseball history for that to happen, Josh. Let's go. Let's pump these numbers out. I I I, I got you. I, I can certainly do it for you. Give me one second. Um, See, I keep telling you to do these things because I know that my confidence with my statistical knowledge is just i would not be able to do it correctly so i'm just gonna let you do it oh my god it's so big (laughs) oh my god all right um wow (laughs) um million billion trillion what's over a trillion quadrillion yeah all right so 1.879 quadrillion games so just just shy of two quadrillion games. Um, shit, man. Basically, well, we have to keep playing baseball until the heat death of the universe, <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe it'll happen. God, imagine if the Padres hit a grand slam in the game two nights ago, and they hit six straight. Oh, oh. dude, I literally—that's the thing. I literally can't. Like I, I I cannot wrap my head around the fact that that this has happened. <laughs> and that like they hit if a they did one. that. If they did that and something happened with a COVID outbreak amongst a bunch of teams and MLB just decided to end the season and the World Series champion was gonna be decided by a panel of voters and each team had to make their case, the Padres could just go up there lay their dick on the table and be like, we hit six straight grand slams. 
how the fuck is anyone going to argue against that? We're the best team in baseball. And everyone, you know, Rob Manfred included, is just going to be like, they've got a point and the trophy. They're not wrong. Yeah. <sighs> it's fucking wild, man. Uh, so that that's I, I let me comb through my Excel spreadsheet again, but I think yeah, that's uh that's all I got. But fuck, man, like wow. Go Padres. Go Padres, good dads. Go Padres. <laughs> did you did you enjoy the topic? Oh, I love the topic. Uh, uh I'm glad. I'm glad. I was hoping so. All <laughs> right. You wanna talk about some pitch value? Yeah, let's talk about some P Val. All right, so Fangraphs has a really, really interesting stat that they call pitch value, um, which is pretty much how it sounds. Um, you know, you throw fastballs, so does that guy. You throw a slider, so does he. You throw a curveball, he does too. Whose curveball's better? Well, Fangraphs has has stripped down uh, these different pitches into their core essential um, measurables that make those pitches worth something spin rate uh, movement um, and they, they they make all those things relative to the MLB average and then they assign you a value positive or negative with zero being average uh, for how much more valuable your your pitch is your that that pitch is for you than it is for other people so for instance uh, Let's look at let's start let's not start with someone crazy. Uh Dustin May of the Dodgers. His his fastball, his weighted fastball, and I don't know how they do the weighting. I really don't think it matters very much for this discussion. Um is 1.7 of pitch value. That means that his 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 fastball um and I think that this is basically if we if we put this at 170, I think that's is that how we're thinking about it or is that too too much? What do you mean, one seventy? Like, is it is it one is it one point seven percent better, or is it is it? Uh, um, like I that, honestly don't know. I, is it, this uh, is my problem with this. This, this is this is one of the <laughs> Cor and I were talking before the podcast. Like, how do I talk about this number? Like, I I know how to read this number. Mm-hmm. How do I talk about this number? Right. Um, it, it, it's not like a plus statistic where you can argue, oh, it's a clear 2% better than this pitch. It's just this number is bigger by X amount, so it's X amount better. I don't I don't know if it's a percentage, if it's how the weight works. Neither of us do. So I, that's my answer. I don't know. Uh, it it seems as though from skimming through a little bit of a Fangraphs descriptor of what um, of how to read this, it's not percentage based. It's more so um, outcome based. So it accumulates, uh, I guess, how like, kind of like how WAR does. Right. Um, so anyway, Zach Dustin May. I don't know why I said Zach. None of his letters sound like Zach. Dustin May uh, is as as one point seven. We'll say additional value on his fastball than than league average. That's the fucking phrase I was looking for when asking you how do how do we talk about this? Because it's not percent; it's like additional value. That's how we're talking about it. There we go. Finally, um, which is which is which is good. Like one one point seven over over average. Like 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 that. That's that's very decent. That's that's 
it's going to put you literally, as I'm reading this, in the top 30 of all of all pitchers, and especially since he has um, been kind of actually has he been has he been mostly starting, or has he been switching between starting and relieving? No, he's been starting. Okay, I was going to say last year he was, or maybe two years ago he was starting and relieving. But versus his curveball, which is at negative two, so he 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 has uh, a cumulative value of of, of below, two points below average on his curveball, which means that he's just not getting as much out of it as a league average curveball is going to get you, which he can probably get away with because of his his above average fastball, but. That means that he has room to to grow in terms of his curveball delivery. So, what are some things to you, Corwin, that that jumps out about this right away? Not just Dustin May, but like this sheet. Um, just how different. So, like certain pit pitchers have different amount of pitches that they throw consistently. Um, you know, guys like Max Fried throw a, a fastball, throw a slider, throw a changeup. And his best pitch, you know, arguably is his curveball. That's what he's known for. That's what he does well. And just the difference between the pitch values between each one of these pitches is crazy how you could be so good at one and arguably so bad at another. And, you know, just because I mentioned Max Reed to begin with, since coming up as a prospect, he throws this beautiful uh, 12-6 curve with just feet of movement it's it's beautiful but p-valve views it as a negative value pitch negative 1.8 because of how it's been hit by you know hitters over the course of the season um meanwhile his fastball which is arguably not one of his top pitches has a 6.0 p-valve because no one's been able to hit it nobody's been able to hit it hard or you know, earn runs off of it, whatever it may be. Um, and it's really weird looking at this and trying to determine all the differences and seeing how different pitchers perform with all these different pitches. Yeah, it, it's that odd about. So to me, that's one of the wackiest parts about, about, about pitching in baseball is the idea that you can be bad at throwing some pitches because, like, you know, you, you hear it all the time. It's, it's most common, I think, with relievers because they have a more limited arsenal because they're not as good at throwing multiple types of pitches as starters are, which is how they ended up as relievers, which, again, is just so wacky. Like, you know, you have a guy, um, I'm going to say Chad Green just because I can only think of Yankees whenever I think of Yankees, whenever I think of baseball players off, off the top of my head because, surprise, surprise, I watch the most Yankees games. Um, but he really only throws, like, uh, a fastball and uh, a slider, like that. That's it. Because like, hey, if he could throw uh, a better, like he's been working on a changeup. But the idea that like here you have a guy who has been playing in MLB, not even just baseball, MLB for the last four seasons, three seasons consistently, and he like is working on a on a changeup, <laughs> or you know, or he's working on a curveball. Mm-hmm. It's like. If you're good enough to throw a fucking baseball like 97 miles an hour, how are you not good at throwing a curve? And it's like that's how intricate the mechanics behind pitching are. This isn't any type of slander on on uh, uh, any reliever. You know, I'm not sh- sitting here and talking about how Chad Green's a miserable piece of shit, and we should trade him because uh, another team would be thrilled about that statement. Um, but it really just speaks to like 
how wildly different the grip and mechanics are between trying to throw your four-seam fastball and and a slider or a knuckle curve or a change. Like it really, really does differentiate. Um and like and like we were saying, like I guess let's just you know jump the gun and let's talk about Trevor Bauer here, who leads all of baseball on his on his uh fastball by a lot, by by two and a half, basically. Um an insane amount. Eleven point seven uh additional value on his on his fastball over league average. Eleven point seven. That is so fucking high. Number ten on this list is Sonny Gray. Uh, I guess tied with Garrett Cole, um, four point six. Young front runner right now. Yeah, yeah. Th- these are two dudes who are having phenomenal seasons. Um, four point six. Trevor Bauer's at eleven point seven. That's how much uh, RPM he's getting. That's how much uh, velocity he's getting. How much movement he's getting. It's crazy that that's where he's at. And then look at his curveball, negative one point nine. Yep. His changeup, negative zero point one. And again, like it's not even like that crazy, I guess, but it's just like wild that you could be on those different ends of a spectrum. And like obviously Trevor Bauer is having is having a spectacular season so far, but oh man, like the number 11.7 when, you know, referencing Pval, you know, it's something where I'll pay attention to it. I'll check on it, you know, throughout the season and see where guys are at. It's insane when a number is that high. And um, I I will jump over to uh, the negative side because you were talking about Chad Green being a Yankees fan. You know, I was thinking, oh, like, what Padres pitchers do I know, like, off the top of my head, like, what their pitch arsenal is. And I thought of, okay, Chris Paddock, you know, he's a fastball guy. Needs that fastball to set up the changeup. He has a slider, but it's nothing spectacular. He has a curveball. It's it's good. It's nothing spectacular. Um, and I looked and just happened to sort by negative PVAL, only to find that he has the worst fastball in MLB at a wow. negative point two. Wow. He's been having a rough year. He hasn't been able to really locate the fastball. And man, does this prove it? Like this is just, oh, that's ugly. That's ugly as sin. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's 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 what the kids say is not good. Um, but let's keep talking about positives. Let let let's jerk all these MLB players off to make them feel better about their millions. Um, best slider in baseball. Before you do any sorting, any guesses? Anyone? Anyone in your head? Uh, it's got to be Chaz. Well, in my mind, Chaz Rowe or Adam Adovino. Uh, Chaz Rowe, not in the top 10. Adam Adovino, who was the guy I was thinking of, also not in the top 10. Number one is Kenta Maeda. I mean, yeah, Kenta's a great pitcher having a great year, but not what I would have expected. And what's crazy is looking at this compared to his fastball. So he's at his, he's at 6.3. Um, additional value on, on his slider, 6.2 additional value on his fastball. And that is like, I'm just combing through. It looks like it's the best one, two that I see here. Mm-hmm. Because like number two is Dylan Bundy on the Angels, which is also a wild thought. 
Um, yeah, 5.7, right? Um, 5.7 additional value on his slider, negative 1.7 additional value on his fastball. So he's getting, you know, knocked around a bit on his fastball, but he's having a lot of success with his slider. But so if you add those two numbers together, I mean, he's, he's rocking a solid four of additional value between those two pitches versus Kenta Maeda's 12.5. Like, mm-hmm. damn. And like, like, uh, Donaldson Lamette, um, Dinelson Lamette. Dinelson Lamette. That is a wild first name. Um, on the Padres, a, a really solid one-two punch here also. 4.3 additional value on his slider. 5.4 additional value on his fastball. And that's a 9.7 overall between those two pitches. That seems like a great one-two punch, and it looks like those are basically the only two pitches he throws. Um, and, it, you know, that's still like three full additional value points less than Kenta is getting with between his fastball and slider. It's just, that is... Good for him. Like that, that's that really shows a lot as to why this season might have been or may be as successful as it currently is for him. And it's funny because he, you know, he throws those two pitches. He's been having great success this season, you know, a clear ace, um, top 15 pitcher this year easily. Um, but his control on those pitches is almost non existent. It's, it's wild watching him pitch because it's all over the place. It just happens to be he gets insane movement and just nobody can touch it. And that's kind of the problem with like the, the, the moving pitches, you know, the non fastbally pitches is like, cause like I, I watched Yankees games. So I see Adam Ottavino have this problem a lot too. You end up walking a bunch of people because it's like, you're either going to move it so drastically that it's going to like bounce right out of the strike zone, which means if someone doesn't swing at it, while it looks like it's going to be in the strike zone, it's going to end up being a ball. And then you throw that kind of pitch a lot. So surprise, surprise, you throw a lot of balls. Um, but if you can get the swings, then you end up like you end up becoming a three true outcomes pitcher. Like, th- like there's no two ways about it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a thought that I haven't thought of before a three true outcome pitcher. Or two true outcome pitcher, I guess. Well, and then the problem is if you leave it, if 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 you throw, it, it it is really a three true outcomes because if you throw a slider, and it doesn't slide, well then you've just thrown an eighty-five mile an hour pitch down the middle, and right. uh, that will leave the ballpark. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, uh, I say we move over to curveball because I'm fucking. Done. Uh, you know what? Let's see who has the worst slider in baseball first. Are you telling me that? And then I already started by Cutter, so I want to talk about Cutter. Ah, perfect. All right. Do you have any guesses who would have the worst cur- or worst slider? Excuse me. Worst slider. I have no real assumption of who this would be. It's Pittsburgh Pirate Trevor Williams. Negative really? 5. Rookie Brady Singer has negative 4.2. Matt Boyd, who was... You know, a, an up and coming breakout star last year has a negative four P val on his slider to match a negative six point three on his fastball. He doesn't have a single positive pitch. Jesus Christ, that's not good. That is that might be the worst one two punch in baseball. All right. So let's talk about cutters. Let's talk about let's talk about Marion Rivera's favorite pitch, the only pitch he had. Um and uh, let's see who's doing well. We got Dallas Keuchel of the White Sox and Hugh Darvish of the Cubs, both here basically at number one. Wow, they're having very identical pitch value seasons here. Um, both throwing the cutter with 
points of additional value over average, um, which seems to be kind of like the watermark for like where you'll be at number one so far between sliders and cutters. Obviously, fastball was very different, probably just because of the volume of fastballs thrown. Um, but damn, like so, Dallas Keuchel and New Darvish uh, average value, ad- additional value on their fastball, one point four for both of them. Additional value on their sliders. Keuchel, negative 0.4. Darvish, negative 0.8. And then additional value on their cutters, both at 6.9. Like, they're only off of each other by 0.4 value points um, for those three pitches on the season. That's kind of wild. Yeah. You, Darvish, just, you know, happens to throw six pitches, or excuse me, five pitches. No, he does throw six, um, which is just insane to me. Yeah, well... And that, that's one of the things we were just talking about. Like, it, it's one thing to have a somewhat of a, of a of a subpar pitch, but if you throw one pitch super fucking great, like it really covers a lot of ground for the other subpar ones. And the fact that Darvish throws six is just like that repertoire is going to be so hard to fuck with mm-hmm. when you're constantly getting all those different looks. Um, so I, I just want to see what their what their seasons look like real quick. So Darvish on the season right now, one point two WAR. Keuchel, 1.1. Uh, Darvish, four wins and one loss. Keuchel, four wins and two losses. I know that doesn't really matter much. Uh, Darvish, 1.8 ERA. Keuchel, 2.65 ERA. Darvish, a 0.9 whip. Keuchel, a 1.018 whip. Um, with Keuchel throwing seven more innings than Darvish. <laughs> but Darvish having 15 more strikeouts than Keuchel. But Keuchel is more of a... Ground ball, fly ball kind of guy. Um, so he's actually value wise are um, these are relatively similar outside of strikeouts. They're pretty close. Yeah, uh, which if you ask me, you know, hey, like I'm going to give you two pitchers comparison in your mind. How similar do they pitch? If you told me, you know, Dallas Keuchel and you Darvish, I'd be like, oh, wildly different. You know, Keuchel's a uh, a pinpoint command guy, all ground balls. Darvish, you know, has wicked movement and, you know, gets the the strikeouts, that kind of stuff. But I'm clearly wrong. Uh, as you should be. As we all expect, Corwin Heller done goofed. Yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's me. All right, let's keep trucking yeah, into curveballs here. It's the way it is. What's up? Ooh, are you happy about? Uh, did you sort by curveballs yet? No, I sorted by uh, worst cutters first. Oh, who do we got? Uh, you'll like this, Nathan Eovaldi. <laughs> what? Jesus yeah. Christ! Why is he throwing it? <laughs> I don't know. Um, after that, it's Tyler Anderson with negative three point one. Uh, Ryan Yarbrough with the Rays at negative 1.6, and no one else has anything worse than negative 0.3. Wow. Wow. Okay. Jesus Christ. Um, That's hard to even mentally grasp. Let's talk about curveballs, because your boy Shane Bieber is leading MLB in curveball value. 5.5 5.5 additional value on his on his curveball leading baseball just over Jose Berrios of the Twins at 5.3 Framber Valdez 
with the Astros at 4.5. Those are the only players over four. Um, wow, what a weird pitch repertoire for him. He throws a fastball at negative 4.1 P-Val, a curveball with positive 5.3, and a changeup with negative 0.8. Yeah, that is absolutely that's bizarre. Weird. Oh, sorry, so, that's Jose Barrios, not Framber. Yeah, Framber. yeah that, that's Jose Barrios. Um, so what's interesting is if, if uh, I'm not sure this is how anybody actually does this. This is just how I think. But that gives his total repertoire um, a, a positive number, like 0.4 total uh, additional value. But like it seems like the wackiest way to get that. Um, and then you look at Shane Bieber, and everything's positive. And that is so impressive, because that's so far something I don't think we've seen yet. No, uh, that's something I was going to mention, just, you know, on top of the fact that Shane Bieber is fucking amazing and I love him. Um, but man, I really wish there was a way to see total P Val have that total cumulative number. Um, I'm sure if we exported this, it would be the easiest thing in the world to do. Oh, it'd be super easy. Yeah. But that sounds like work. I now see. All right. I can do this. I can do this. All right. While you're doing that, I'll do the Corwin thing. I'll look at. I'll sort this by worst curveball uh, or lowest p-value to see who has the worst curveball. Holy shit! Lance McCullers Jr. negative five. That's bad. Um, he should he should not be allowed to wear pitching ninja gear anymore because that's a terrible terrible p-value on a curveball. Uh, it's it's and it's almost doubly worse than the next guy, John Lester, at negative two point seven. Of the Cubs, and then Garrett Richards on the Padres, negative 2.1. Dustin May of the Dodgers at negative 2. And Trevor Bauer of the uh, Reds at negative 1.9. And then everyone else is doing better. But that's a startlingly bad P-Val for Lance McCullers Jr. there um, on his on his curveball. While Corbin's still exporting, I'm going to look at change-ups. Um, and I'm very curious about this list because this, I think, if you're a power fastball guy... The changeup's got to be like the the pitch for you, and I'm immediately proven wrong. It's none of these guys throw very hard. <laughs> Number one on this list is Johnny Cueto of the Giants, six point six additional value on his changeup, um, with a negative three point one on his fastball, which means his fastball is getting getting beat up quite a bit. But his changeup is really saving his ass on things. Um, which is just such an odd and interesting. Although everyone here kind of has a relatively low. Wow. Hold on. We're gonna have. To, I'm gonna save Chris Paddock for when you're done because we have to talk about what's happening with Chris Paddock's P valve. But uh, <clears throat> Kyle Kyle Freeland of the Rockies, six point four uh, additional value on his changeup. Kyle Hendricks of the Cubs, five point two, and no one else is above four. Sorry, above five. Um, Chris Paddock, four point four additional value on his changeup. That's good. Negative 0.5 additional value on his curveball. It's whatever. Um, negative 0.1 on his cutter. It's whatever. Negative 7.2 on his fastball. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, wow. That makes him good for the sixth worst pitcher in all of baseball. Uh, that's, you know, qualified uh, by cumulative PR. Oh, so you got it all figured out? Mm-hmm. I did. Do you want to? There's a pretty clear top five. Um, do you want to throw some names out there that, you know, 
all, all four of them we have talked about so far, so it shouldn't be a difficult list to put together. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good that Trevor Bauer is gonna be up there. Yes, I'm feeling. He's in at number three. I'm feeling pretty good that you uh, Darvish is gonna be up there. He is. He is number five. Uh, I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good about Kenta Maeda being up there. He is number two. I'm feeling good about uh, Lance Lynn being up there. That would be number four. Ooh, so I'm just missing number one? Yeah. Uh, Shane Bieber? Yep. I got all five. Ah, you got I'm all very five. Impressed. Wow. Um, Lance Lynn's uh, fastball definitely uh, put him over Nine, top. right? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I saw it, so, but I was like, I can't even. We can't keep bringing up um, Lance Lynn just to be like, how is he still this good? Because it's the I, only thing we ever have to say. I truly hate Lance Lynn just because he's so good at baseball and just shouldn't be, or at least hasn't been. And it's just, it's so irrational or like, it's so out of my comfort zone for acceptance that I just, I don't want to like him and I don't. And I, that is so unbelievably unfair to Lance Lynn, who I'm sure is a wonderful person. I just can't accept. He also plays for the Rangers. So go fuck that guy. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm never going to meet him. Fuck you, Lance Lynn. Uh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll join the chorus here. Um, but let me let, let me do the uh, total P-Val, uh, cumulative P-Val for these top five. Uh, Shane Bieber, 13.6. Kenta Maeda at 13.5. Trevor Bauer, 13.3. Lance Lynn at 12.2. And you Darvish at 10.4. Those are the only five pitchers above 10. Interesting. Padres actually round out uh, the next two. Uh, Zach Davies of all pitchers and Diddleson Lamette at nine point eight and nine point seven. I was wondering about Zach Davies because he's he's number four on the the changeup list. So I'm like literally looking at his name right now, and I I think one of the biggest things going for these going for a player like Zach Davies is that like none of his pitches are like stand out crazy big, but none of his pitches are negative. And I that's that's a big deal there. I think he's very much falling under the category of small sample size command pitcher that just hasn't allowed himself to get rocked yet, which is bound to come at some point. Uh sweet, sweet regression. She is a fickle bitch. Uh you know what? I'll take it because Fernando Tatis Jr. is refusing to regress towards the mean, so Zach Davies actually regressing. I'll take it. That's a trade-off I am very willing to accept. Very fair. Three worst change-up pitchers thus far this season. John Gray at negative 4.4. Max Scherzer at negative 2.7. And Zach Gallen at negative 2.4. Nobody else has worse than negative 2. Not names I necessarily would have expected. Um, so that brings us to SF and I split finger. Is this, is this a split, split fastball sinker? Yep. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, we were trying to figure out what this was, uh, right before we started. Uh, so <laughs> there's only five pitchers that have even thrown this. Um, mm-hmm. so everyone here Excuse is me. in the top five and the bottom five. Uh, that leaves us with Kevin Gaussman of the giants leading the pack at 2.8. You Darvis of the Cubs at positive 1.5. Matt Shoemaker of the Blue Jays at 0.9. Nathan Neovaldi at negative 1.6. And Mike Fires at negative 4.4. It's actually really crazy how 
smooth this curve would be just plotting these five points it would look like something out of a textbook where it's like uh a left skewed right skewed whatever it would be right skewed i get left skewed um just like normal distribution curve 0. 0.9 1.5 2 -1.6 -4.4 i'm not going to yeah. graph that because that's just minuscule amounts of work that i don't want to do but that would be a very satisfying looking curve. Um, and then no one's thrown a knuckleball, so we're Bullshit. we've we've concluded with with, with pitch with p val, pitch value, and uh, yeah, man. Anything else to say on pitch value? Do you want to go over the worst pitchers in all of baseball right now? Ooh, I do. Uh, uh, let's give me give me that bottom five. All right. Uh, do you want to guess any names before we go into it? Nathan Eovaldi has to be there. He is number five. As in fifth worst. Fifth worst, yes. Okay. Ooh, I don't even know. Who else did we talk about? Is, um... No, no, I don't know. Who else is there? I, I can't even think of who else would be there. So, uh, I will say, um, some names that are really sticking out to me that is insane um max scherzer is not in the bottom five but he is the 14th worst pitcher by pval with a negative 0.7 total repertoire um with only his cutter and his slider being positive his cutter at 0.7 his slider at 4.7 his fastball is negative 2.3 his curveball is negative 1.1 and his changeup is negative 2.7 um, that really sticks out. Luis Castillo has a negative 2.2. He is the 10th worst pitcher by PVAL. Negative 1.8 fastball, excuse me, positive 0.5 slider, and a negative 0.9 changeup. He also arguably has one of, if not the best changeup in all of baseball. So it's very interesting to see that be negative. Um, Lance McCullers and Chris Paddock are... Seven and sixth worst, uh, with negative 3.1 and negative 3.4, respectively. And our top five, well, bottom five, excuse me. Uh, Nathan Eovaldi with negative 3.9. Derek Holland of the Pirates with negative 4.1. Kyle Gibson of the Rangers with negative 4.5. Mike Fires of the Athletics with negative 6.5. And Matthew Boyd of the Tigers with a negative 10.7. Wow. A negative 6.3 fastball, a negative 4 slider, negative 0.6 curveball, excuse me, and a positive 0.2 changeup. Jesus Christ. The fact that he has such an astronomically bad fastball, but still a positive changeup is very confusing to me. Well, all right. So I was thinking about this because I, I forget who else we saw in the change of column that had this going on. So uh, someone someone else we were talking maybe it was Chris Paddock with like a negative seven fastball, but like a positive four and a half change. That is, was it. All right. So my, my guess is their fastball is getting fucking pounded, right? So batters see what looks like a fastball coming in and they're thinking to themselves, oh, meatball city, and then just swing out of their fucking shoes. And it ends up being a changeup. 
That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yep. That that would be my 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 intuitive guess. I don't know if that has any basis in reality, but I would imagine that like if you throw something so poorly, and then you throw the thing that looks like the thing that's being thrown so poorly that everyone's just rocking it out of existence, that they're probably going to swing and miss on the other thing. So yeah, there that that's Josh's guess. Trademarked. Any other information you want to see here? Learn. Uh no, no, I'm I'm all good. I'm all set. This was fun. I wish there was more pitchers on here. There's only 60, I'm excuse me, 59 qualified pitchers right now. I would love to see some more that, you know, are doing much worse or much better. We, you could always change the minimum innings pitched um on the FanGraphs leaderboard and change it from qualified to whatever number you feel like. That's very true. So, um I don't know how to do that. Oh, just go up to to the oh, top, you, you know. Minimum yeah. innings pitched. Uh, what would be a good number? I don't know what qualified is right now. So, uh, I, 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 well, that's why we're getting a lot of stars. I, I think it's like five or six innings pitched, um, per game on average. Kind of like how uh, qualified uh, batters three point one plate appearances per game. Some it's going to be something like that. The lowest number I see here is like twenty two. So I'll go. 20. Um, let's see what pitch value. Um, man, this is just kind of really slow. Yeah, I mean, nothing truly spectacular that's jumping out. Robbie Ray all of a sudden comes in with the worst fastball in all of baseball <laughs> with 7.4. Jesus. Uh, I'm basically just looking at if there's a new best worst um yeah nothing nothing's really jumping out all that much all right which is almost disappointing um i, I understand it is. man lance mccullers that's a bad curveball negative five yeah that is it is a no good curveball that's one of those not good curveballs that he should stop throwing Still um, don't have any knuckleball pitchers. We do have a lot more split finger fastball pitchers, though. Is Tanaka there? Uh, Tanaka is not there. I wonder where he is. Tanaka? How many Tanaka? has he pitched? You know, not a single clue. He missed a couple games. Uh, all right. Well, let's let let's get out of here. We'll we'll keep up with this list uh, as the season goes on. Um. And just make sure we include some of the not qualified pitchers that we don't only get uh, starters. But yeah, let's. Uh, I, I any any final thoughts on any any of the things we did today? Uh, not on anything that we did today. Uh, I know I just sent this over to you, Josh. But uh, a Mike Trout rookie card just sold for three point nine million dollars. Um, so. God, I hate people with enough money to spend $4 million on a baseball card, but that's another discussion. <sighs> yeah, uh, fuck whoever bought it. Go Mike Trout. <laughs> um, whoever bought it, I hope that card burns in the fire for you. Um, that fire being whatever fire burns down your entire home. No, not really. That's, that's so mean. <laughs> Unless you're Jeff Bezos. Oh, then I hope all of your houses burn down. <laughs> Um, oh, Jeff, Jeff Bezos could oh. fund the, uh, like an entire armada of planes to put out the California wildfires and just chooses not to. 
That's who Jeff Bezos is. He could solve all of the world's problems and is just deciding continuously, no. Josh, I, I have some pretty breaking news right now. Um, Go ahead. Schefter is reporting that the Ravens will be moving on from Pro Bowl safety Earl Thomas today, either through trade or releasing him, for conduct detrimental to the team by getting into a fight and punching safety Chuck Clark. Jesus. Wow. Uh, oh, fucking wow. Okay. I like you. It was one of these rumors that like you you kind of saw it coming a little bit. You knew, you know, there was a lot of tension there. But man, releasing him, that's uh that's big for the Ravens. That's huge. Yeah, I guess well, front runner if he gets released. I guess we'll 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 hopefully have an update in time for when we record the next podcast uh for Thursday, we record on Wednesday, so hopefully we have news on where he ends up going by then. I'd imagine with something like this, the Ravens are probably going to be pretty willing to move on from him quickly. So hopefully we have something for that by then. But yeah, damn, can't believe that. Mm-hmm. But all right, let's uh, let's get on out of here. I want to give a reminder that this upcoming Thursday's podcast will once again be the sports edition as we move back to that. Corwin and I will, uh, as we've been saying, we started uh, or we are going to start uh, a uh, movies podcast so that we can still be talking about the movies. It'll be coming out the day after this releases, this upcoming Tuesday or in if you're listening to this, tomorrow <laughs> um, the 25th will be our first edition of the new show, Juicing the Big Screen so keep an eye out for it um, we're very excited about it um, and that's that on that so if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at JuicingPod, you want to hit us up via email you can do so at juice to the numbers at gmail.com and until thursday y'all have a good one bye